You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. Welcome to Between the Links with your host, Mike Heck. Thank you, Esther Lynn, as we welcome you to a brand new edition of Between the Links. Hope you're having a great week. Coming off a very busy weekend in the combat sports world, we had two Bellator events, UFC Vegas 10. We had bare knuckle action for the bare knuckle enthusiasts with BKFC. LFA was back. A lot of fights went down. We have a huge UFC event coming up on Saturday, headlined by Colby Covington versus Tired Woodley, and there's just so much to discuss. So let's get into this right now. First, let us introduce the challenger. She's a familiar face. To those who have followed this website, she was a multiple-time panelist on the old MMA beach. She's been a co-host on the UFC Unfiltered series several times. She did a lot of work for Axis TV when they were in the MMA game. She's just all over the place these days. Phoenix Carnavali joins us. How are you? Oh, so happy to be here, man. Love talking fights. There you go. And introducing the reigning defending BTL champ. Just closed out the trilogy with Sean Ross Sapp last week. Those matchups were a lot of fun, but... He's back with the fresh matchup this week from MMAfighting.com. Jed Mishu, what's up, Jam? Mike, I, I see what you're doing here, and I'm already calling shenanigans. Look, you've, you've brought writers and bloggers and all these other journalists here, and all of them fell before me. So you have to go get a real television personality to stand up next to the heat of my takes. It's not going to work. I'm the champ as long as I say I'm the champ, and I still say I'm the champ. Phoenix, I'm bringing the fight to you. I love it. I'm digging the confidence. I, I love competition. It's uh, it's going to be a good time. I am excited for this matchup already. So let's kick things off with this past weekend. One of the topics last week on the show was the UFC versus Bellator on paper. Who had the better slate? Bellator came with two events on Friday and Saturday. Friday night, Phil Davis defeats Leota Machida in a eh, kind of a main event. And then Juan Archuleta became the Bellator Bantamweight champion. Uh, with the win over Patchy Mix on Saturday. UFC had their event in Las Vegas Saturday night, headlined by Michelle Watterson defeating Angela Hill in just an excellent main event. We're going to dive into some of these fights more specifically in a moment. But Phoenix, we begin with you. Who won the weekend, in your opinion? The UFC or Bellator and why? Listen, I absolutely love Archuleta, and I thought that was a fun fight against Patchy Mix. I, I, I knew Archuleta was going to win. I've been a fan of him for a long time. But to me, the UFC won the weekend. Fantastic main event. Stars were made. Rocky-like story with Chrome coming out and winning in the first round, the fastest ever uh, for for you know your first time in the UFC. I just thought that there were a lot of awesome storylines, a lot of stars to be made. I know a lot of people complain, but you know, there's no stars, there's no star- stars. I call BS on that. I thought that there a lot of stars were made in this special night for the UFC. I'm a little biased because I always love the girls' fights. I feel like there were a lot of female fights on the cards, and I thought that they all brought it. The Sabina Mazo head kick, which led to the submission. I'm a big fan of hers, knowing her from the LFA. 
So for me, having a background with a lot of those fighters that are now becoming stars, it was just, it was just fun from start to finish for me. What do you think, Jed? I love it because we have dissension immediately. Look on the merits. If you're just looking fight for fight, I think the UFC had the better card. It's the more entertaining one. It's the one that I'd rather go rewatch. I'm, I'm not interested in watching Machida Davis again. I'm, I'm, I'm good with the once. Uh, so, so on those merits, I'd still think Bellator's close. Actually, if you combine their two cards over the weekend, because they did have some really, really good bright spots. But it's not the, who won the weekend isn't just about the fights; it's everything else. And arguably, the biggest story coming out of the UFC event is is not related to how great those fights are. It's you know, did Michelle Waterson get away with one? Was Angela Hill robbed? Or even more probably, the whole Ed uh, Herman situation with the referee, which I know we're going to talk about later, those are kind of detracting moments to take away from that card. Whereas with Bellator, you've got a new Bantamweight champion, Juan Archuleta, uh, in a sensational fight, phenomenal comeback, showing championship merit. And you get all the ancillary stuff too. You get the, the Paramount, uh, the exiting Paramount announcement. You get the the announcement that uh, Douglas Lima is going to move up and challenge for Gegard uh, Mousasi's middleweight title. That's official, got a date set. Uh, you've got Chris Cyborg coming back. I think that they just kind of carpet bombed us with a lot of really good stuff. And so even if, you know, maybe 245 wasn't the most exciting card or there were some controversies there as far as low blows, et cetera, I, I think on the balance, Bellator's weekend, they got the fights that they wanted. You know, they got the winners that they wanted by and large. Uh, and then they got some really big, great announcements and they don't have the looming stench of conor mcgregor's latest controversy which always associates with the ufc as well so categorically i think bellator takes the weekend all right jen let me let me go back to you because we both talked we all touched on it. the main event on saturday for the ufc was michelle watterson defeating angela hill via split decision that, that that was a fight that was a it was a great scrap they delivered the questions looming afterwards is something you brought up but this fight took a beating heading into it after the, the Glover Teixeira Tiago Santos fight fell off, but this one delivered in a big way. So after watching those ladies fight out for 25 minutes, what was your biggest takeaway from that fight? And where did you sit heading in and where do you sit now? Well, of course it took a beating Teixeira versus uh, Glover, or Glover versus uh, Tiago Santos. That was for, as we discussed several weeks ago, <laughs> because I'm such a long reigning champion, that was for the title of best light heavyweight in the world. So you lose the light heavyweight title fight. Of course, you're going to take a beating. But that fight delivered. Both both women came out and, and fought their asses off. Uh, I, I came into that fight thinking Angela Hill was going to walk through Michelle Waterson. thought Waterson's best chances were grappling uh, and that on the feet Hill was going to kind of tune her up. And it started out that way. I, I thought that Hill really was in command early on. But Hill made some really poor tactical decisions in that fight. And it's, it's hard for me to say whether she made them entirely or maybe Waterson kind of triggered those responses. But Hill... Hill, after kind of dominating early, started to consent to fighting the bout like Waterson wanted to and staying at kicking range and getting kicked a lot and not kind of just working her hands and pumping her jab. So, you know, at the in the end, I still had Hill winning. I had her slightly edging out uh, the fight there. But I, I can't be unhappy with, you know, Michelle Waterson getting the decision either way. I don't think you can. It was it was a close competitive fight. I think Waterson probably won the most dominant round of them all. So it's it was a great fight. I'd be happy to watch them run it back at some point in the future. And I, I'm sorry for Angela Hill because she's really close to getting over the hump and being a bona fide contender and just can't quite seem to do it. 
Phoenix, what do you think? Because Watterson gets a much-needed win. Hill, as usual, super competitive, made some history while she was at it heading into the fight. What was your biggest takeaway from those 25 minutes of action, and how did you score it? Well, listen, I would love to argue with Jed at this exact moment, but I really can't because his point is very similar to mine. The only difference I would say is I did have Michelle Watterson winning round three, which was, I think, the most sort of indecisive round for the fans. I think the the takedown and the ground control are what really changed the momentum of the entire fight because Hill even said it herself after that she was worried about the takedown and that ground control, even though rounds one and two, what beautiful takedown she defense she had, which really has showed her evolution as a fighter. But once Michelle was able to gain control with that kicking range, I kind of knew where it was going and I did give it to Watterson. But I think what it did do is it proved that Angela Hill, she really had to learn on the fly. I mean, I know Angela Hill from Muay Thai back in the day. I used to, I used to commentate her Muay Thai fights. And I remember her calling me saying, hey, I really want to get on the Ultimate Fighter, thinking it was her only shot to get into the UFC. Do you know anybody so I could at least have one fight before I go into the tough house. So she's had to learn on the fly and considering the way she's taken her career coming in with nothing but Muay Thai, I am still impressed with her. And at 35, I really hope that there's something she can do within the next two years to keep elevating her career. Yeah. Coming in short exit, did some, had some fights in Invicta look great there and came back Mm -hmm. and she just keeps getting better and better. Also on Saturday night, we saw you know, the main event for Bellator was a million times better than Friday night's Bellator main event. Just being honest, Wardak Gilletta becomes the Bantamweight champion over Patchy Mix. It was billed on paper as the best fight of the entire weekend slate. There's a lot of hype for that one. Gritty performance from Archuleta. He came back. Mix had some big moments early. Phoenix, you know, you've been following Archuleta for a while. Gets, you know, finally gets a big promotional championship around his waist. What did you take away from that fight at Bellator 246 and, you know, the the performances from both fighters? I feel like I feel like Archuleta's experience really shined through because he he was losing the first two rounds. As soon as he was able to to use his distance and stay on the feet and control the fight, it was like, okay, I know where this is going now. But I was worried the first two two rounds. You just kind of saw how much of a crafty veteran he is. And then at the end, when he won, he was all class, you know, talking about Cub Swanson, talking about how heartbroken he was when he he lost that opportunity against Pitbull. So I thought, you know, he gained some fans within this fight, too, because you saw what he can do to a younger aggressive fighter. And, and, uh, I'm happy he's in the position he's in now. Jed, my biggest takeaway was, you know, Dana White even said about the, the Watterson Hill fight, there are no losers. And I think if you look at the grand scheme of things with this Bellator main event, Patchy Mix may not have the title, but he wins an experience. So he has to grow from a performance like that. And I think if you go 12 and 0 and you finish a lot of fights quickly, you need to have that one war. And I think he got it with Juan Archuleta. That was my biggest takeaway. What was your biggest takeaway overall of that fight on Saturday night? I mean, I, I think you're not wrong to have that takeaway, right? Patch, I want to talk about Patchy Mix in just a second. But first, you have to give your props to Juan Archuleta. This is a guy who's, what, 28 and 2 or something ridiculous like that. He's only lost to one, one man a decade ago. And then Patricio Pitbull, who is arguably one of the 10 best fighters on the planet, dual champion in Bellator, like a no shame in that loss. So Archuleta has been putting in his time, you know, 
got to where he is and like like phoenix said showed a ton of experience a risky game plan it is a dangerous game plan to basically say i know i'm gonna lose early i may lose these first two rounds because then you have to be perfect after that and he was why don't you let us sweat the end um i really sensational performance from him so i think that's the first thing you have to take away but one b right after you know how great juan archuleta is and what a crowning achievement is patchy mix is going to be a problem real soon i mean he was two rounds up and and just cruising i know at the end of the second archuleta had started to kind of put in work and was paying dividends with with some of his big body shots but you know, mix didn't f- fade. That was kind of the thing that shocked me the most is I thought after the end of round two, mix was looked like he was starting to tire out. Archuleta was starting to come on strong. He'd done so much good work to the body. I thought mix was going to start drowning. He was going to be in over his head, but he wasn't, he stayed in there for the remaining 15 and yeah, he lost and he ate a lot of shots, but the man showed off a chin. He showed off a ton of heart. He kept fighting and scrapping. Like he, that was not a three-round blowout at the end. He lost, but he stayed competitive in them despite fighting, you know, a fight that's not really what he's best at and, and against a guy who clearly was in better shape than him and, and better prepared for the moment. I was just super impressed with with Patchy Mix in in the adversity and how he reacted to it. And he's young, you know, this is his first loss. He's gonna come back real soon. And I said, I said after the fight, I wouldn't be shocked if in a year that fight ends up getting run back and Patchy Mix becomes new champion. I mean, I super impressed with this kid. He's gonna be amazing. Let's get him a Wikipedia page because he doesn't have <laughs> one and it's a crime. Get that man a wiki. <laughs> Well, it was a it was a good weekend for the UFC, good weekend for Bellator, very newsworthy weekend for Bellator. But uh, there you go. Leads to a lot of discussion points, and that usually relates to a successful weekend for the most part. But more on that coming up next. But in terms of this opening round, the point goes to the champion, Jed Mishu. He is on the board. Hell of a round. I'm excited to see how this gets, it gets going here in round number two as we move to A huge story from over the weekend of the unfortunate variety. One of the big themes, nut shots. Bellator 245 had two no contests due to low blows. The Raymond Daniels fight was probably the most painful thing I've ever seen in my entire life. But uh, the biggest low blow story of the weekend was due to a low blow that didn't actually happen. Mike Rodriguez is fighting Ed Herman Mike was doing very, very well in that fight. Looked to have had the fight finish in the second round, but referee Chris Tyone thought he saw a low blow. Turns out it couldn't have been further from a low blow. And in the end, Ed Herman, using his veteran savvy, wins the fight via Kimura in the third round. It's just unbelievable. If you told me the story and I didn't see it, I probably wouldn't have believed you. But Jed, before we get into the aftermath, what did you make of that entire situation? Uh, Ed Herman is a wily, wily character. <laughs> I mean, look, I everyone knows it by now. Like it, it is not cheating if you don't get caught. And uh, my man did not get caught, so totally, totally above board. What happened there? Like sometimes you need to take a breather, you need to rest, and it worked out. <laughs> it paid off. So often something like that happens and it just delays the inevitable. Maybe Ed Herman makes it to the final, but instead Ed Herman threw up what I think in most years would be considered comeback of the year. End of the year this year, it will probably get docked points for the, let's call it specious way that it, that all ended up unfolding. But otherwise, I mean, 
he was getting the wood put to him for two and a half rounds and then turns in a sensational comeback. So you can't argue with the results. I mean, that's it's uh, depending on how you like the man, you're either going to call it low and classless or you're going to call it a crafty maneuver. Uh, and I think Ed Herman is has been in the game long enough for us to just call it veteran savvy and <laughs> give our cap to the man. <laughs> what do you think, Phoenix? My favorite part was the referee just turning to him and saying nuts. It was a <laughs> nut shot. So professional, just nuts. I remember doing a broadcast once and they were like, you can only say groin shot because I was saying all types of like bread basket and sackage and all types of stuff. And they, they corrected me on the air. So I just love the whole nuts, uh, you know, effect of it. And then my other favorite part was Herman saying, I'm not, I'm not sure if I got hit in the groin. Now, I don't have balls, but if I did, I think I would know if I was hitting them. You know, but I tried to give him the benefit of the doubt because he had taken severed several elbows before and was dazed before, you know, before that knee hit him. So was he so out of it that he didn't know if it was his balls or his uh, solar plexus? I don't know. I'm giving the benefit of the doubt, but it was comical, crazy. And I actually hope that something good comes out of this uh, if it's contested, which it is going to be. All right. So on that, Phoenix, bouncing back to you. As you probably know by now, Rodriguez's manager told me right after the fight is that they plan to appeal. Dana White went on to say that the UFC will pay him his bonus, his win bonus, despite what happened. I actually spoke to Mike Rodriguez right before we hit record here. So he gave his take. And it seems like his thing is like, I just want to put this thing behind me. Like, I'm glad I got the extra money. I came home feeling like a winner. The appeal, I don't know if he necessarily cares too much about it, but it is what it is. But they still plan to appeal the loss despite getting the win money. Does this have any chance of being overturned considering how rare appeals actually work out for those who file them? And then plus, this is such a unique circumstance. It's so damn obvious that if this appeal doesn't work, I'm going to be furious as not only a person who works in the sport, but as a fan. This is so obvious, but you have to appeal these things. You have to actually take a stand every once in a while, because especially for something as clear as day as this. Because if you think back to... Um, the Weidman fight with the knees and the downed opponent, Eddie Alvarez and Poirier, those are some of the initial things that happened before the, the um, instant replay was made possible in 2017. So as the sport is evolving and we're adding new things and new tools and new rules into it, you, the only thing that sometimes makes change is a bad situation. So what I'm hoping for is that they do contest this, that it's so freaking obvious that they have to change it. And then it brings up more conversations about what we really do with instant replay besides it just being fight ending sequences. Jed, what do you think? Does this have any chance? There is one chance for this to get overturned and it's if Ed Herman pops for a steroid, because otherwise they're not overturning this one. That's just the world we live in, man. I'm, I'm sorry about it, but it's it's one of those situations where the referee made the call in the cage. He chose to stop the fight. He was wrong. We all know he was wrong, but we also cannot say conclusively that uh, Ed Herman would have been finished. I think we all agree he would have been finished, but you know, we can't say it. They're not going to overturn this to a no contest because that is that, that type of foul is, is up to the referee discretion. And 
referee made a call. He made the wrong one, and we'll have to live with it. I am glad that Mike Rodriguez is getting his uh, full you know, win bonus. He certainly should. Uh, and I think he's honestly taking the right tack on this. Just, hey, you know, I'm not going to try and run this fight back. Oh, I feel like I, I did what I needed to do, and life happens. There we go. I'm going to move on. Uh, I hope that he also, in that, recognizes that he still did lose the fight, even if what led to that was nonsense. Um, because that, that's something he can shore up in his game getting tapped out, you know, when he's up two two rounds and two minutes or whatever it was. But yeah, this isn't, unless Ed Herman pops or something, this is not getting overturned. That's just going to be the way of the world. And we all have to be okay with it because think of all the other ones that should have been overturned. Do we think about them all the time and and lament them? No, we just kind of move forward. It's not going to hold anybody back. So uh, it is what it is to quote Max Holloway. Phoenix, let me ask you this. If you're if you're Ed Herman, okay, and I understand that after the fight, he took a little bit of a beating. Maybe he didn't know that he got kneed in the in the nuts or anything like that or wh- wherever that thing the landed. Groin. He just knew he was really hurt. Or the groin, groin. or the, the sackage, I believe, was the other term <laughs> that was thrown around. But if you're Ed Herman, the next time you fight or do interviews or anything, you're going to be asked about this. And there's no way in hell that he didn't go right back and watch the fight or he has. He's definitely watched it by this point. If you're doing interviews and you're asked about this, do you just kayfabe this thing and be like, I I still don't remember what happened? Like, what do you do here? I think I would interview him and say, hey, Ed, do you know where your balls are? (laughs) That's it. Then, no, I mean, look, he, he's a veteran. He took the win. It's quite obvious. His problem is really in the court of public opinion. You know, we don't even know if this was his actual retirement fight either. You don't know how he went home feeling, looking at it. Is I mean, it's not the way he's probably going to want to end his career. I, I say he probably fights again so that he ends on a completely clear note. But yeah, I mean, he's going to have to answer this question. When does the media forget about stuff? Usually like a year later. So he's got he's got six to 12 months of this nut question. Zach question. <laughs> he, he needs to lean into it, Mike. Look, when I argued really strongly on MMAfighting.com, you can go back and read it if you'd like to. Uh, when TJ Dillashaw popped for PEDs, that he should have leaned all the way into it and gone like full heel mode with it. And I think Ed Herman needs to do that right now. He needs to be like, hey, uh, I do know where my balls are. They were in my chest after that savage <laughs> blow rocketed them up there. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it shows a lot of heart that I was able to come to overcome such treachery and cheating and still get the submission victory. He lean into it, man. You got to. There's no other way to approach this. I mean, hopefully, hopefully this, this, this does get overturned somehow because this is as obvious of a referee blunder as you'll see. I wish like in in a weird way that, that maybe some, some other referee, maybe Mark Goddard would would have been the third man in the cage and missed that. Cause we would have heard his response to this. Chris Tyone just is uh just like most referees. He's kind of a, a ghost when it comes to this thing, but we'll see what happens. I don't think it's going to get overturned either, but uh point for this round is going to go to our challenger, Phoenix Carnavali, just the uh, the different wordage of, of sack and balls and nuts. Yeah. I mean, just just very impressive stuff. Sackage Ooh. always wins. Sackage, Sackage always, always wins. wins. 
we didn't really talk about this too much, but it was a really bad weekend for like refereeing and nonsense. Just Bellator had a lot of shenanigans, like the two groin strikes in 245. The main event, uh, Patchy Mix got kicked in the chest and managed to pass it off like it was an illegal head kick. So <laughs> there was a lot of chicanery going on this weekend. There was. Not, not a great weekend for the officials, but uh, we digress as we move to another big story from this past week. The in the works fight between Tony Ferguson and Dustin Poirier doesn't seem to be happening anymore for UFC 254 as, as it stands right now. Who knows what happens in the next few days? Maybe this is a negotiation tactic after all. But listen, Poirier wanted to be compensated for a fight of that magnitude. It didn't happen. Dustin said he's not fighting. Then Dana confirmed on Saturday that they were looking at something else. So that fight looks to not be happening next month. So the UFC is apparently working on a different fight for El Kakui, much to my disappointment and to the disappointment of fans around the world. But the big news is that Poirier actually had the wherewithal to say, you know what, thanks, but no thanks to whatever you're offering me, I want more. So Phoenix, I'm gonna start with you here. We've seen this a little bit more over these past, I don't know, I'll, I'll say a year from some of the top names in the sport. We saw it with John Jones, we saw it with Jorge Mazadal, Henry Hudo, Henry Cejudo to an extent. Poirier is probably not at the level of a Jones or a Mazadal. He's a little bit lower on the totem pole, but not much. But let's start with your reaction to this move from Poirier and subsequently Tony Ferguson today having his back. Well, I love the quote. I'm a prize fighter and the prize needs to be right, right? Like that was a good enough quote. So this is a this is a conversation we've had time and time again as MMA media, right? We've talked about fighter pay, but we've never really had a standard to go on because fighter pay has always been so different. You know, it's really similar to like the entertainment industry as like some actors make this much because they're top tier and some make this much. But when you're main events, co-main events, interim champion, things like that, there's got to be some type of standard to how much you should get paid. And the fighters know it or they have a roundabout idea of it. And really, it's just their managers fighting for them, but there's no standard into play. Should should this trend be happening? I think so, because I think they're finally saying like, hey, let's have a standard here. The, the whole unionization thing, that always fell through for one reason or another. We have the conversation. It's never really clear. We don't know what's going on with it. But I will say Ferguson having his back and fighters having each other's back with this is also a very good sign, right? To, honestly, who else? What other fight can you guys think of that would be as exciting as that matchup? Well, Poirier beat Hooker, so would it be Ferguson Hooker because Ferguson hasn't fought him yet? I really think that this is the fight to make. Like, what what else do fans want to see? Max Holloway versus Tony Ferguson, Battle of the Angel Wings. <laughs> That's the fight. You know what? I, I think you're right, Jed. I'm going to give you my own point for that. <laughs> you can deduct one for me just for that answer because I would watch that right now. That would be amazing, right? That's, yeah, of course. Uh, Mike, I'm going to kill your segue and just lean right in here. Then Go, um, go, go get it. Yeah, because I, I mean, I think Phoenix makes a lot of great points. Uh, I, I think this is just really indicative of the UFC lately. Um, you know, saving saving one dollar to not make four down the road. Uh, Dustin Poirier, Tony Ferguson. That's on paper and in actuality a fight of the year candidate. Um, and he Poirier is their person of the year. Like, let's yeah. not forget that. That was just a couple of months ago. They announced him as the inaugural winner of the Forrest Griffin Community Award, the person of the year. 
you know, functionally with any other organization. And they're not willing to pay him a few extra bucks to face a guy in a title eliminator fight who, you know, had 12 fights unbeaten in the division. One of the scariest guys out there, like what it's just so ridiculous to, to not do this. But I'm actually pretty happy. Um, I, I'm happy because it was a travesty that that fight was going to be three rounds. Like, can you imagine how angry we all would have been if that's a fight of the year and at 15 minutes it's just done? Like, you know, maybe there's been a back and forth and it's a tough, contentious decision and we don't get the extra 10. So I, I think maybe there's a benefit here to them having having not been able to, to do their jobs properly. But uh, I don't think this is going to lead to anything future with, with the fighters. I mean, my, my stance on this has been unchanged for years when the UFC sold for $4 billion and none of the fighters looked around and said, wow, we, uh, we're not getting paid what we're worth. We should do something about that. Then there was no hope for it. I mean, that's, that's just the end of the conversation. If a $4 billion price tag isn't enough to get fighters to unionize or, you know, team up in an effort to increase their value and, and what they're receiving. I don't know what's going to be, you know, maybe you get one-off situations like this with slightly more frequency than before, but in the end, we've seen how all of these have gone. John Jones retired, but you know, was probably going to come back and fight at heavyweight. Jorge Masvidal didn't fight and then did take a short notice welterweight fight. And now he's looking to fight Nate Diaz like there. Nobody is sticking to their guns because it's hard to stand up against the rising of the tide by yourself. And no one is unionizing them. And the one person who tried to, the UFC very politely asked to leave. So it's, this is just not the start. This is not the start of a revolution. This is just another one-off instance of, of a fighter realizing that they should get a little more and standing up for at least that portion of it. Phoenix, do you think this changes anything? Because, I mean, there's so many examples we could see. Just just looking at the current business model, we're seeing fighters come in on two days' notice and take fights. We're seeing Dana White award three, four, five contracts on the Contender Series every night. I think we understand why he's doing that, because it's going to save on the bottom line. That's just the way that it is. You can pay fighters less to come in and try to achieve their dream. And if they earn, the, earn an extra paycheck, that's on them to do so. And we kind of saw it with the whole Kamaru Usman, Jorge Mazadal thing. Mazadal said, no, I'm not fighting Kamaru Usman for peanuts. And then Gilbert Burns was like, I'll fight him. I'll fight him for whatever you want me to fight him for. So do you think that having a guy like Poirier step in and make a similar stance, who you can argue is probably on the same wavelength as a Gilbert Burns, do you think this might change things or we're going to be having the same conversation for years to come? I don't think it's going to make people unionize, but I do think it'll help people decide whether they're going to negotiate their contracts better. You know, or perhaps that the agents and the managers who are working with their fighters have a better idea of what the standard should be. You know, I think that that's part of it. I think that most of us, especially talent, we are so focused on the talent that we lose the business aspect of it. And it's a big part of this very short lived career as a professional athlete for you to understand what dollars make sense, right? And what to do with your actual money, because how many stories of professional athletes that we know go broke after an injury or they can't fight again or they spend all their money or they MC how hammer their cash with their entourages or whatnot. Right. Like there's a big part of that. So I think that it, it might not be a sign of of people unionizing, but this is a sign that people are getting a little bit more business savvy on what they're worth and what the UFC is making, what pay-per-view dollars are and all those type of things. Right. Like I think that's a big 
part of the conversation now, just meaning that we're a bit more savvy or even the people who are on the senior end are a bit more savvy. And Poirier, Masvidal, these guys are on the senior end of this career. They get it. Jed, this paid off for Masvidal. He got the Usman fight. It was short notice. He lost, but he got a lot of money out of the deal. So it, in, the, in, in the end, it paid off. John Jones wants to go to heavyweight. Yeah, he had to vacate the title, but he's going to be in line for a big fight. I'm sure it's going to eventually work out for him. Does this work out for Poirier? Can they salvage this? Do you think we may still see Poirier Ferguson at UFC 254? Is that just gone now? Did it pay off for Masvidal? I mean, yeah, he got the fight, but that's the fight he had beforehand. He got more money for it, but he got less time to prepare. And, you know, arguably that's why he lost. I'm not sure that that's true, but he didn't end up winning the fight. So I'm not sure we can say that it paid off for him. Perhaps in a, in a short term it did, but in a long term maybe it didn't. We'd have to know George Masvidal's, uh, Jorge Masvidal's bank account to, to really make a more educated guess in that regard. Uh, as far as Poirier, I don't think so. I think he's going to take a fight against somebody not named Tony Ferguson, you know, sometimes later, because in the end, the UFC is always the one holding all the cards. They, it is the same in any, any labor dispute ever, ever in the world. They, the UFC can wait. The UFC can put on some more uh, Tuesday night contender series fights, sign some more people and fill, fill roster spots and fill fights on fight cards. And Dustin Poirier, can't do anything else to make money i mean he can but not his career path he can't go anywhere so ultimately they're holding all the cards and he has very little leverage here uh good for him to stand up for himself in this regard but at the same time he also flew to coconut creek and started a training camp and that's expenses that aren't going to be covered now or costs so it's it's hard to think that this was a good decision in in any way for him um it's just tough to weigh that out. And I don't think in the end, he's going to get the big Brinks truck backed up to his front yard and say, Hey, now we want you to go fight Tony. Maybe because, you know, Gaethje was at an open or a closed in event yesterday where COVID potentially was running rampant. Maybe it does because maybe now he gets to fight uh, Habib. If Gaethje catches, catches something is forced out of that fight in the next month. But, you know, otherwise uh, he's just going to fight, uh, a Paul Felder in December for the same money he would have fight Tony Ferguson for. So I, I don't think this is going to do anything for him, frankly, other than make us love him all the more. <laughs> so Jed said Holloway. Phoenix seemed to completely agree, even wanted to award Jed the point for it. No love for Charles Oliveira here. Like, doesn't oh, he deserve a big fight, fight here? Too. Yeah, that's not a bad fight either. It's 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 definitely something that I think fans would be interested in as well. But we're talking about those those top four guys that you know you keep wanting to circulate around i mean that's kind of the real the real fun isn't it i need the baddest winged mofo belt. <laughs> that's what i need i want to see it i've wanted that fight for years i think it is arguably i don't get me wrong i loved poirier ferguson i think mm-hmm. holloway ferguson is the second most exciting fight you can make right now other than uh connor gaethje i think that's the most exciting fight in mma history but other than that Max versus Ferguson is a barn burner. I thought you were going to say Gerald Mearshire versus Ed Herman is the most exciting fight I, you can make. Look, we're 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 waiting. We're not going to talk about it because Mearshard <laughs> is Mearshard's got to go get his ass whooped real quick, and then when that's over, then we can start talking about making that fight happen again. All right, all right. I have a feeling that fight's going to be a lot closer than you think it is, but uh, it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. My personal opinion: I think the UFC is going to get this fight done, and we're still going to see it. At, on October 24th or whenever it is, but uh, we'll see. 
But what else will be interesting, it will be this final question of regulation because the point will go to Jed Bashu because Phoenix already gave it to him anyway. So it makes my, makes my job to. much easier. Some weight I just flying to. off my shoulders. <laughs> you can give me the next one if you want, Phoenix. I'll take no, that one too. Definitely not. Now we're in full competition mode, but <laughs> it was just too perfect. <laughs> so let's look ahead to this Saturday. UFC Vegas 11 headlined by Colby Covington taking on Tyron Woodley. And one thing that people have noticed quite a bit is that Colby Covington who normally does a lot of media, a lot of interviews, has been pretty quiet over the last few weeks since Penn went to paper. I'm pretty sure that my interview with him when this fight was verbally agreed to was the last time we've heard from Colby Covington. I will say I have tried. He's usually pretty responsive. There's other people that I talk to in the media space have also tried and haven't gotten anything from Colby Covington, but not this time. I guess he's focused, but Jed, let me ask you, why do you think Colby has been so quiet heading into this fight? Do you think there's anything to this or is he just trying to focus on a grudge match that he's been wanting and calling for for so many years now? You know, Tyron Woodley uh, mentioned this with TMZ over the weekend where he mentioned that Colby Covington hadn't done his usual pre-fight stuff. Uh, And he, of course, ascribed it to Colby being afraid that if he loses, he'll have to retire because he talked all this trash, etc. I don't think that's true, but it was interesting because I hadn't really considered that Colby Covington had been out of my life for a while. I'd just been thankful. Um, but but now, obviously, we're getting into fight. We can still kind of mums the word from Covington. Uh, and it, it's definitely interesting. I think that there's probably is some truth to him being just really focused on on what he knows is arguably the biggest fight of his career. I mean, may, I guess not because he did challenge for a real title. But if he beats Woodley here, he's right back in to, to get maybe one more fight and then be back there. And moreover, he he does do the inverse of what Woodley says. He had talked all this trash for years saying, I would beat Tyron Woodley. And when he backs that up, he'll be insufferable, but with merit. Like, you know, if, if you talk talk that trash, well, you can do it. I mean, good on you, mate. So uh, I think that there's probably some truth to that. And I, I really think that probably the biggest answer for this, though, is the UFC hasn't pushed this fight. The UFC has been all full steam ahead on UFC 253, the Adesanya Costa fight. Uh, with merit, like that's a great fight. Um, but they haven't done a huge promotional push for what would normally be this epic grudge match that they'd promote the hell out of. And so he hasn't been given that kind of platform that, that they have to, to bounce off of. It would just have to be, you know, his own internal one. And I think that that's probably just fallen by the wayside as a result. So it, it's an interesting situation. I expected this fight week to be way more fun than it has been, but you know, it's still a really good fight. So I'm at least interested in that. What do you, what do you think Phoenix? Because I mean, the UFC did announce earlier today that on Thursday, they're going to have a press conference and they're going to face off and all that stuff. So it's kind of like Connor Nate in a way. Like I, I think Connor Nate too was probably the comparable one because those two talk so much, they got the fight booked and there was nothing until fight week. And then we had the monster energy drinks and all that crazy chaos. But, uh, why do you think we haven't heard from Colby here, Phoenix? We've heard a lot more from Woodley than we have Colby. That doesn't, that's not what I thought would happen here. I think it's a multitude of things. I, I 100% agree with Jed in the fact that the UFC hasn't pushed this the way they've pushed other fights before. Also because it's it's a UFC Vegas 11 card. It's not a, a pay-per-view. So the Costa fight has gotten a lot more publicity in terms of like what's coming and what they're going to do all the behind the scenes stuff for. So that's one factor. The second factor is that Colby is at MMA Masters right now. He's not at 
the ATT. Who knows if the people at MMA Masters are like, hey, shut the F up and just train for this fight. Like, this is what we want you to do. There's a mild rivalry between them and ATT. There's a lot at stake here. Stay focused, you know. And also, too, it's freaking exhausting to keep up the personality that Colby Covington has had to keep up in the past, you know. And it's probably expensive. I mean, paying for all those strippers it would probably eat his bank account and he hasn't fought in a while. So he probably has to keep that in mind too. So I think it's, it's an amalgamation of things. I know that when Wednesday, Thursday, when all the press stuff starts to happen, his, he'll have his shtick ready and prepared. I don't think this is a change, change of heart for him, but I remember the interview he did with you, Mike, which was very good where he was basically saying, I think I'm going to see the best Tyron Woodley ever. Like he's admitting that he never, calls like he'll say what he says about Tyron but everybody knows that when Tyron's focused he's a very dangerous athlete he's been a little bit mental in his last couple of fights for I think a lot of different reasons that we could talk about in another show but and I love Tyron Woodley but I think that this this grudge match is the passion that Tyron needs right now to put him back in a hundred percent and say what you want about Colby but he's not a stupid guy you know so I think he knows that and when it comes to excitement, that'll happen in the cage because they are going to go at each other. So, you know, I like him being quiet because it's like, oh, I can focus on him as an athlete. And I do think that he's very good. But I, I think that it's those reasons. Colby playing the, the pro wrestling stick heel absolutely perfectly because, yeah, he says he's going to put tired in the hospital and leave him bloody and battered and stuff. But still, you got to put him over. You can't say he's like the biggest bum I've ever fought because then if you lose and you lost to the biggest bum you ever fought. So you still kind of put him over in a, in a, in a strange way as well. But this card is really good. Like the main mm -hmm. event is awesome. Co-main event is Nico price versus Donald Cerrone. That's going to be wild. And then we got the return of Hamzat Shemaev taking on Gerald Mearshart Phoenix. People are saying on the interwebs right now that this is the best non-pay-per-view fight card in UFC history or at worst, at least one of them. Do you agree with that? Is this the best non-pay-per-view card they can put together here? I really like it. You know, I really, really like it. Like another one that I'm excited about is the Ryan Spann versus Johnny Walker fight, right? Like Ryan Spann has been undefeated. He comes from the LFA. So I saw him like change and grow. He comes out of um, Safe Sayud's camp in, in Dallas, Texas. There's, a, there's an excitement there because Walker has to get himself back. He's a young prospect. You know, uh, I, I think Span is really, really interesting too. Nico Price and Donald Cerrone, even though like Cerrone at this point for me, I bite my nails when I watch him fight. Like I, I'm, I don't want to see him fight anymore. But the, the, the intensity between those two is bound to be a fun fight anyway. So I think from start to finish, it has names, it has stars, it has prospects, and it has a huge grudge match. So I'll be, you know, making sure that I walk the dog early so that I don't miss any of the fights on the card. What say you, Jed? I mean, it's definitely, it, it's great. I, it's hard for me to know how great it is, you know, on its own merits versus just how bad the like last four weeks have been. And so maybe this just is, is an oasis in the middle of a desert of relevance. It, it's hard <laughs> to say. Um, but I mean, it, it's obviously a very good fight card. I, I don't know if I want to call this the best fight fight night ever um or, or you know best non-pay-per-view ever uh i'd have to go crunch the numbers and check that out off the top of my head 
the the UFC's first foray on fo- uh, on Fox, the heavyweight title fight. Um, that's you know a, a free heavyweight title fight is one thing that's insane in, in its own merits. But the rest of that card, I remember being very good. Dustin Poirier, Benson Henderson was on that card. Um, so I, I can't say it's the best ever, but I mean, I am. I'm thrilled to have this fight card coming up as opposed to anything the past few weeks. Granted, I will caveat for the UFC in that regard. A lot of the problems the last few weeks were part and parcel of the ongoing COVID crisis and fights falling out last minute. But still, I mean, even if a couple of fights don't make it to Saturday, which at this point we should just assume they won't. It's still a sensational card uh, and a really, really good lead in to UFC 253 because now I'm getting hyped about a fight card and the next weekend is going to be amazing. Yep, we did lose a fight. We went from 15 to 14. Mickey Gall versus Miguel Baeza is no longer happening. 15 um, fights. Oh my so goodness. now we're at 14 fights. But uh, I, I'm curious, Jed, do you have a do you have a pick for Covington Woodley? Uh, I think Covington is going to beat Tyron Woodley. Uh, I, I I sort of agree uh, with what Phoenix said about this being the fight that could maybe get Woodley kind of out of his funk. Uh, because if if anyone's going to to deal, I mean, the big issue for Woodley has been he hasn't been able to pull the trigger. He just hasn't thrown offense in his last two fights, and he's lost as a result. So if anyone's going to get him to want to punch them, it will be Colby Covington. But uh, I thought this was a bad matchup for Woodley you know, years ago when Covington was calling for the fight. And certainly now that Tyron Woodley refuses to punch people, it, it becomes an even worse matchup for him. I think uh, Tyron Woodley is a great champion. He's a future Hall of Famer, like a hundred percent. He's passed it, man. And the sign of a, of a fighter being oh, past their sell-by date is when they get tentative in there, when they can't pull the trigger. You've seen it time and again with all-time greats. And I think Woodley's just there. And so he's, He's going to sadly fall to an avalanche of punches from Colby Covington. What do you think, Phoenix? Because, I mean, from all indications, from everybody that I've talked to that have seen Tyron Woodley train, he looks phenomenal. He looks like he did for the Darren Till fight. Looks like uh, he did for the Robbie Lawler fight. That's what Gerald Mearshart told me. So what do you think? Can can Tyron Woodley turn back the clock here and get it done, or is he going to drop his third straight fight? When I listen to him talk, he sounds clear. And I know a lot of athletes, a number of athletes who've seen sports psychologists who have been very successful with it. It's like it, it, he freezes. It's been so disappointing because he has all the physical attributes. So, you know, it's been mental. So if he's dealt with those mental issues and he now becomes aggressive and engages, he has a chin, you know, so I don't I don't get what the fear, what the apprehension is, has been. It's got to be something that we don't know about. Um but as a person who knows him and is and has been friends with him and Dean Thomas for a really long time, I don't want to bet against him and I want to give him a benefit of the doubt. So out of that, I'm going to go with Woodley, but I wouldn't be surprised if Colby Covington pulls it off because I say what you want about him. He's a tremendous athlete. Phoenix, you're making me make a decision. <laughs> Phoenix, you just don't get it because you're a sprightly 21 years old. But when you're an old man like me. <laughs> You, you come to realize that sometimes you just can't do the things you want to do anymore and your brain your brain just won't do them. Even though physically you should be able to do it, you just can't. And it's like looking at yourself and thinking, wow, I'm old and this sucks. And that, that's really what's going on here. One day in the far future, you'll, you'll come to realize that as well. You think that his mileage is up. You think uh, that like the definitely. engine is, is. Yeah, he's, yeah, yeah, he's, I mean, he's, I know Tyron Woodley is the most imposing physical specimen 
like in the welterweight division, but he is what isn't he like 37, 38 now? 37 or he's something. He's old like that. and yeah, yeah he's thir- he's 38. I just looked it up and he's yeah. you know got fight miles on him. I think he's just kind of too many ticks on the old odometer. Well, ladies and gentlemen, this has been a heck of a battle. I'm looking forward to that fight. And this battle will continue because Phoenix Carnavale ties it up to let us prepare ourselves. <laughs> I thought the low-key compliment to my opponent, I was putting her over while I claimed victory, Mike. I was doing what you said you're supposed to do. This is, this is, this is not a fight. This is verbal warfare. It's two different I, things. This is not I, pro wrestling. I've, I've got to say, though, he is amazing competition, and I feel honored, and I am inspired by you, Jed, that I will step up my game. No, no, don't. It. It's unnecessary. Bring your worst effort for the last round. <laughs> you are what a, a sprightly twenty-one-year-old Phoenix. Is that what? Is that what you said? Yeah, Jen? not not even close. But thank you. Eighteen. I'm sorry. I I didn't mean to to oversell. All right. I'm wearing so, a GI Joe T-shirt, so that'll help you figure out what my age is. <laughs> and well, it is half the battle. That's right. That's right. And we're gonna see how much you know with the knockout round. So one last question. Neither contestant knows what this question is. I will drop a little hint that it has been alluded to already on the program. But once the question is read, each competitor will have 60 seconds to answer. You will see the timer on the screen as well. And then we'll throw it over to Casey Lydon, our producer, the judge and the jury, and he will decide the winner takes the, all the pressure off of me, which I love. Now I can just host, I don't have to worry about judge anymore. But Jed, you are the champion. What would you like to do? Would you like this question first or a la The Price is Right, pass it on over to Phoenix? You know, I'm starting to think that that I keep making the wrong decision for my long tenured championship reign, but it hasn't failed me yet. Uh, so I'm going to keep uh, passing that option a la The Price is Right. All right. So Phoenix, we start with you. Here's the question. We did allude to this already on Friday. Bellator President Scott Coker spoke with the media via Zoom call and made a big announcement. He confirmed an earlier report from ESPN that Bellator is going to be changing networks from Paramount to CBS Sports beginning on October 1st. Now, some things to note. No more tape delays, which is just excellent news. They're also going to France with the big card. And one thing that people have been talking about, the domestic events in the United States are now going to take place on Thursday nights beginning with the Chris Cyborg versus Arlene Bianco fight on October 15th for the featherweight title, and then the Gegard Mousasi douglas Lima fight on October 29th for the vacant middleweight title. That's also going to be on a Thursday night. So while this is definitely a big move, Phoenix, was this a game-changing move? Was this impactful? Did it take Bellator to another level in the grand scheme of things? So 60 seconds are going to be on the clock. There it is. Your time starts now. Hell M F and yeah. <laughs> okay. And I think that like I love Coker because of Strike Force. And we remember all of the great things that happened with Strike Force when they were on Showtime. Showtime and the UFC do not like each other. They were not good partners. Showtime was like, yes, let's work with Bellator again. CBS partner, you know that entire merger that bits is all big family. I think that Thursday is a smart decision because then they do, don't have to go up against the UFC, which makes people say, oh, fights are on, and they don't have to pick and choose, which is a game changer as well. 
Starting with Cyborg, everybody still has an interest in her, even though the Amanda Nunes situation kind of brought her stock down. Even for me, I honestly never thought Cyborg was going to lose, and then now I'll never doubt Nunes ever again. But yes, game, absolute game changer for the company, and it's going to level them up. Jed Mishu, we go to you, the champ. Can he retain his title? We'll wait for 60 seconds to get back on the clock. There we go. Your time starts right now. Mike, I'd like to ask a clarifying question. This time when they're on CBS, are they going to have a pink-haired Seth Petrozelli kill their golden <laughs> goose immediately? Because if not, it's going to be a it, it's going to be a great decision for them. I mean, the last time that was a confluence of really poor events for them that Kimbo got got like that. Um, but that can't happen again. I mean, it, it could, I guess, happen that Chris Cyborg uh, gets defeated, but even so, that that's not going to be nearly as devastating as, as the loss to Seth, Seth Petrozelli on short notice was for Kimbo. Uh, otherwise, I, I think, even if, if you took everything else out of it, moving to CBS, there's cachet there. Paramount Network is a fake ne- network. I know it's a rebrand from Spike, but if you ask 10 people what Paramount is, they probably don't know. Spike at least had a brand. So moving to CBS, it has a real solidified brand that's obviously an improvement. And I love the Thursday night shift because people don't have anything to do on Thursday nights because they have work on Friday. Saturday, you're competing against other television and the world at large. I think Thursday is a great opportunity for them. Sensational move from Scott Coker here. I know one person that's probably going to be pissed about it, or one, one, uh, one league, one organization. PFL is probably like, ah, oh, you got to be shitting me right now. But oh yeah, it is what it is. They're are not they doing still, anything right now, anyways. I was going to say, are they they still a league? Is that that's still a thing? That's why we're talking, and I know Casey gets mad when we talk. Oh, okay. Well, Casey, you've been you've been silent long enough here outside of the uh, the normal production work you've had to do. But we now throw it to you, the honorable judge. Who is the winner? First of all, it was great having Phoenix here. A great competition. Um, very sportsmanlike. No, um, no faking groin shots here tonight. No faking um, <laughs> sackage shots. Um <laughs> So, my winner, the 21-year-old and new oh! Phoenix Carnival. Wow. Wow. Oh, devastating. I have to tell you, when Phoenix started dropping Strike Force nuggets, I was like, oh boy, this is going to tickle at the heartstrings of Casey Lydon. Is that, is that accurate, Casey? It touches me. It, 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 I was, I was, I, I got a little, I got a little fuzzy, a little warm. I thought that's, I thought that I had it with the Kimbo. I thought going to Kimbo was the game changer. Oh, devastating wow. defeat. Sorry. It's hard. It's hard to stay at the top, Jed. It's hard. It's, it is. You know, I know. I now know what Tyron Woodley has been dealing with. It's, it's difficult. You're getting everyone's best shot. You guys have to bring in a ringer, a professional television personality to dethrone me but uh you know i'll be back better than ever i I believe that i really truly believe that (laughs) we might have a new trilogy to 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 set up here how about that but phoenix you don't get any any belt or trophy or prize money however you do get 30 seconds to talk about whatever it is you want to talk about good bad and different in the sport of mixed martial arts with your victory Oh man, I'm so unprepared for this. But what I will say is that 
it's just, it's so cool that we do have fights during this damn pandemic and that we do have good journalists like you guys to, to bring us great information. So I love the sport. I love martial arts, not even fighting. I love all martial arts. So MMA fighting, you're the shit. I hope I could curse. And, uh, you know, I just appreciate being on. Jed, she put you over in her uh, final 30 seconds. I concur. I concur with what Phoenix said. MMA fighting, we are the shit. <laughs> uh, well, well fought battle, Phoenix. No, no skullduggery here. So full credit to you. Uh, and, and enjoy your reign at the top. I'm sure it will be long and fruitful. <laughs> Thanks. I don't believe you. I feel like that you're just you're just inking up the deal right now. You're just waiting to to come back with something. But what? Well, look, the Chael Sonnen and Conor McGregor. You know, they're they're strong heel personalities going into a fight. They take their losses on the chin. Um, I you know I could start saying that I mismanaged my energy, but I'm I'm gonna wait for for the slack thread afterwards. Uh, and for now, just full credit to you. Uh, but I'll be back. Okay. Well, we love it. So, Phoenix, can we, uh, you know, you got to come back and defend. Can you come back next week and defend? Absolutely. I would love to. We got we got good fights to talk about this weekend. Excellent. Yeah, I won't lie. I'm a little disappointed that I was champion during this run of terrible cards. <laughs> now I've lost <laughs> my title as we're going into no, UFC 253. It's harder to be champion during bad cards. It's hard to sit through bad cards. So, you know, I'll give you props for that one. Thank you. Well, I mean, this is, I mean, the UFC, if someone defended their title twice, they're getting an immediate rematch in, a, <laughs> in one of these situations. So, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see, Jed. Go on social media and see if people want it. I think they do. I want to see it again. But, uh, but that's going to do it for another episode of Between the Links. Jed Bashu, long reigning champion, no more. Phoenix Carnavale now has got the strap around her waist. And we have a lot to discuss next week on the program, so make sure you join us. I am Mike Heck for Jed Phoenix. Big shout-out to Casey on the production. Esther with the graphics. We're out of here. Have a good night, everybody. We'll see you back here once again between the links. Bye, guys. Love you guys. This has been Between the Links with your host, Mike Heck. Brought to you by MMA Fighting, a production of Vox Media. Vox Media Podcast Network. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle. It's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today. Claude 3 from Anthropic is your one-stop shop for enterprise AI. With models at every point of the price-performance curve, you no longer have to make trade-offs between intelligence, speed, and cost. Claude 3 Opus sets new industry benchmarks for intelligence. Sonnet strikes the perfect balance between skill and speed. And Haiku is the fastest and lowest-cost model on the market, perfectly designed for high-volume, high-speed use cases. Join the thousands of enterprises who use Anthropic to navigate this new frontier. Visit anthropic.com slash Claude, C-L-A-U-D-E, today. Jumpstart your genius with Claude 3 by Anthropic.